Oh, is, is the episode over? Oh, gosh. Um, today we'll be talking about... Um, the... the... I got nothing, guys. <laughs> I actually have a quick thing I want to mention, though. I completely forgot to mention Matthew Jeffries in the previous episode. Matt Jeffries is uh, awesome. He's one of their main set designers, and, and he's responsible for a lot of the look of early Trek. And the first time we ever actually saw the D7, a.k.a. the Katinga, actually showed up last episode in the original, obviously, in the remake, uh, the remasters we've seen it since before that, which is why I forgot to comment on it, because I'm an idiot. I just wanted to mention that, because Jeffries did the best he can, and he does an awesome work, and I just wanted to comment on it, because it's amazing. This is one of only two location shots in all of Season 3, by the way. This is, they didn't even go far, they just went right up to the lake, which, you know, you might remember as the Andy Griffith Lake. This was written by Margaret Armen. She wrote Gametures of Triskelion, which wasn't as bad as I remember, and The Cloud Miners, which we're not at yet. If you remember, back in Gametures of Triskelion, I mentioned that I didn't remember this episode. And I can see why. Now, this is hysterical, because one of the things I've mentioned several times is my belief in that the Preservers are the same aliens from The Chase. In fact, it wasn't until I actually got to doing the rumination on The Chase over in TNG that I realized that that was just a theory. I thought that was just codified fact. But no, it is merely a theory. It is worth noting that Ronald D. Moore, who helped write this episode along with Joe Minos that episode along with Joe Minoski, actually did think the Preservers and the Chase aliens were the same, and Star Trek Online, which as we all know might as well be canon, right? Right? God, make it canon, make it canon. Um, <clears throat> is also states that those are the Preservers. So it, it didn't even occur to me to think of them as anything else. But the Preservers are mentioned here. This is actually, to my knowledge, their only real uh, thing. I think they're in Discovery once. I looked that up, and I was like, oh, okay. Obviously, still haven't watched Discovery, so I can't comment on that personally. But this episode, um... Where do I even begin? The original intent by Miss Armen was that she wanted to show that Kirk and crew were just... Well, they're just stir-crazy. They needed to get down to some place to, you know, paradise, and be like, ah, and just, just unwind for a bit, you know, this this thing called a vacation or a shore leave, which has actually been a plot thread several times in TOS, so, okay, you know, makes sense. All of that was cut from the episode, if you're paying attention. All of that would have happened before the episode even starts. The first shot is them coming down here. So while Kirk has a brief mention of the fact that he really wanted, you know, to, to get away from it all and how happy he feels here, that's basically it. That's all we get in the finished product. So, this is kind of an interesting thing to talk about. They flat out mentioned that they're here to stop this asteroid. Question number one, how do they know? I'm not saying it's impossible, it's just something that I posit. Do they, is this the kind of thing that some of their long-range, uh, large-net scanning ships regularly check for? Asteroids that might hit planets? It would make sense, and it would also make sense given point two, the idea that the Federation would make it part of their regular job to prevent this kind of a thing from happening, right? I mean, all of that's logical and all that lines up. Remember, they don't know about the obelisk or what it does initially. They don't find that out until Spock successfully deduces what the heck is going on and figures out who the preservers are. So they are doing this without knowledge that the planet has any method of existing otherwise. They, they, they practically call this place Asteroid Alley. McCoy mentions several times how this place should be pockmarked. Pockmarked? Pocketmarked? Hmm. Covered in craters from asteroids. And it's not. 
Now, we do find out it's because of the obelisk, but you get the idea. It's interesting to think about. I'm also not sure if an approaching asteroid would affect the weather the way it does. I really don't know. I, I'm not familiar enough with that. Either way, <clears throat> so the Federation is here to provide, you know, service, which, again, I'm completely with. That's the kind of thing the Federation should do, and I mean that sincerely. This is the kind of thing you can do without violating the Prime Directive at all, too, if you're paying attention. You just help get rid of the asteroid, and the people just get to keep living, not really aware that anything changed. We're good. You have to be careful if those people have, like, telescopes or if they're at the level of advancement where they're aware of the asteroid, but still, you can do it. Then, uh, McCoy's an idiot, and this, I don't want to blame McCoy too much, he only delays them by a couple of minutes, but he really does actually sit there and be like, you don't understand, we, we need to spend more time to find Jim, it's super important, and while I get his point, if, for example, Kirk was bleeding internally, you know, leaving now and then coming back in like a few hours, he'd be dead. But the whole point is that the only way to have that time is if we frickety go. Can I talk about something? There's an episode of TNG, Sarek. I'm thinking of it specifically because I've seen it recently, because I was looking it up when it came to uh, Journey to Babel. I specifically pulled that episode up to figure out how to pronounce Sarek. Remember that? Anyways, so that's the most recent one in my mind, but that's why I'm using that, because the beginning ep of the episode has a camera that... Riker and Picard are following, and it follows them down the corridor as they are discussing the events of the episode and the lead-up and the Sarek thing, and it basically giving the initial exposition dump before they get to the transporter room and greet the ambassador himself, right? You couldn't do that in TOS. They didn't have the sets. And I point that out because that's one of those limitations of time and budget that is actually aggravating. See, don't mistake me, you can come up with some creative stuff when you are limited in what you can do, but being limited in what you do does still mean you are limited in what you can do. This whole scene with, with McCoy and Spock explaining this thing is actually stupid, because what should happen is Spock orders him, and I, I will explain on the way, Doctor, and McCoy's like, ah, 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 ah. then they beam up, and then as they're walking through the ship, as, as Spock's already given the orders to get the hell out of there and go meet the asteroid, he then explains to McCoy, as they're walking, why this is such a problem. Thus, McCoy understands, and on the off chance they don't, the audience now understands too. Thus, no time is wasted, which you can't tell me Spock would waste the time trying to explain this to McCoy, of all people. And we get a slightly different shot. But, of course, you can't do that, because they don't have the sets for that. It's not even on the table, especially when they're doing a location shoot like this one. Just just something to talk about there. Either way, this then leads to amnesia. Yay. And warp 9. Now, okay, I, I'd make fun of that, because this is the first time we've gone above warp 8 without having some alien modify the power, which has happened like three or four times at this point, I think. But it's okay, because as they're going warp 9, the ship is dying. Like, you can actually hear the screeching of the engines, and Scotty's like, what the heck are we... we we're going to blurn out. And there's a consequence. They destroy the ship so badly from doing this that they are screwed from doing it. Now, what happens next is what is effectively a montage. Well, hang on, hang on, before I go into that. Um, no, I'll, I'll go ahead and go into that, because... What effectively happens is this episode occurs over uh, two months, I think, is how they say, 59 days, something like that. 
They even have these little patches they add to Shatner to make it look like his hair has grown. What, uh... When they go to the asteroid and they try to destroy it and they fail, they fail because they took too long. Why do they take too long to get there? Now you're probably thinking, ah, oh, Laurie, you're just making fun of McCoy again. Uh, no. This is actually illogical. The sequence of events is... They're here to stop this asteroid. They know the asteroid's there. So they go to the planet, beam down, walk around a bit, admire it, take their time, beam back up, go to the asteroid at super ridiculous speeds because they're late, and then try to destroy it. The super ridiculous speed thing is important because that's why the ship is damaged by the time they get there and why they fail to deflect the asteroid. If they had gotten there earlier, they could have deflected it without actually having need the super-duper speed, and the deflectors would have actually worked. So the delay causes all the problems here. Now you might say, well, then the episode wouldn't happen, and you'd be right, but this is still is bad writing. I'm just going to say it. This is just still bad writing. This is because plot. There is no logical reason whatsoever for them to swing to the planet, beam down, check things out, beam up, then go to the problem. There is zero reason to do that when they're already aware of the circumstances. So, they now have to follow this thing. And by the way, I'm kind of with the Warp 9 thing, because now there's severe damage to the deflector and the phasers, and they're screwed, so they just follow this thing. Basically, actually, they lead the asteroid in, in the shot that I've, I've, I've mentioned over on Sarek. They do the same thing, except the asteroid is, you know... Wait, does that make Riker an asteroid? It's not a fat joke. I'm, I'm probably bigger than Jonathan Frakes here. Anyways, they end up having to follow it, or lead follow it for two months in order to try and get back to the planet and deal with what they can. Okay. Spock then takes two months to figure out what he's looking at. Sure? He's going to let that one go. <clears throat> the other thing that makes me think, though... They're screwed. No, think about this for a moment. The Enterprise does not have warp. Scotty flat-out says they cannot repair the warp engines, period they're going to need to get to an actual repair station. They're in a planet in the middle of Timbuktu. How long do you think it takes to get from system to system without warp drive? That's also not brought up. The episode just kind of ends. The, the episode doesn't end in a want-wah, so I'm okay with it. Now, you notice I'm not talking about the Kirk side of the plot, and that's because I have nothing to say about it. I mean, we already had the big episode that was that was about how terribly the episode treats women or whatever. Now we have the episode about the American Indians. I don't want to touch this. But even if I did, I really don't feel there's anything actually worth talking about here. Except for one big thing, which I guess I'll just go into, because I think I'm actually out of things to talk about. I have very few notes on this episode. Like, I could talk about the preservers, and but I kind of already did. I could talk about how they stone Kirk, and that actually confused me. It really did, and it's always confused me. Until this watch-through, as I was paying attention, it's so strange the things you pick up when you're in analysis mode, um, as opposed to just you know relaxing and enjoying the TV. There's a line in the background that's dubbed in where someone says, Die as we all die. And all of a sudden I was just like, Oh, that makes sense now. They know they're all going to die, but they want the satisfaction of killing him first in order to then die satisfied. 
it probably says something about me that that never even occurred to me until I heard that line. But anyways, um, so I mean, there's the there's the jealous dude, and there's the traditions, and the fact that you know he's teaching them how to use technology. I you get you get it. It's just okay. But I do I do have one big thing to talk about, other than the fact that Miriam Miriam Oh my god, she dies. Well pregnant, so that's cool. That's terrible. Awful. <sighs> wow, people. Thanks for that. <clears throat> anyway, she dies, so naturally Kirk never has to think about her or talk about her ever again. And she never comes up ever again, of course. Why would she? I mean, if you think Picard over in the inner light is never gonna mention his wife, you think Kirk is? TNG had more continuity than TOS. Oh, but that is the point I'm going to bring up. This is the Inner Light prototype. Now, a lot of people really love the Inner Light. Me too, by the way. I do actually like the Inner Light. It's a good episode, except for, like, two major flaws. One is the nonsense of the premise, cloud effect, and the other is the fact that they kept keep cutting away, which destroys a lot of the tension in the storytelling presentation. But other than that, it's a great episode. And you know why? Because of Patrick Stewart. What they did was they pulled in their great actor that they had, and they told him to act great. And they designed an episode for Patrick Stewart to act. And that's exactly what that episode really was at its core. Oh, there's good themes and elements, and there's a good story in writing, but let's be clear. That episode is buoyed by his acting. If the script had been lesser, it would still be a good episode because of him. Thus, we see what the inner light required, what this episode required, was Patrick Stewart. Instead, it got William Shatner, saying repeatedly how happy he is, how joyous he feels, and how much he just, if it wasn't for the dreams, he would be perfectly at peace. Imagine if I was to tell you in a fairly bland voice how happy I am, and you would then be able to understand it. This is the definition of telling, not showing, by the way. To be clear, I don't put all of that on Shatner. I don't think he's a good actor in this particular episode, but I do think the script also hurts the overall presentation. That's it. That's all I've got. I, I joked about falling asleep earlier, but honestly, this was one of those episodes where at one point I hit pause and was just like, ugh. And at that point, my notes were closer to like this. I only had this tiny little fraction up top, and I'm like, okay. Surely I've got to be, you know, almost through the episode by now. And I looked down, and I was at like the the one-third mark through the episode. And I'm just like, you've got to be kidding me. <sighs> okay. I'll keep watching it then. I actually had to take a brief mental break, just walk around the apartment for a bit, do some stretches, and just think about something else for a bit, because I was so bored. This is going on the skip list. It's not as offensive and horrible as some other episodes I could mention, but this is a definite skip for me. What do you guys think? I am curious, as always, of your comments and thoughts. And either way, I will see you next time. <laughs>